Hey, everybody, it's Tuesday, December 28th, and you are listening to the Peer Capital Podcast. Today on the podcast, it is the fourth week of the month, the last week of the month. So we give uh, just a few founder updates, do a little bit of Q&A, and have some some open forum conversation here. So today we're going to run through uh, what James is up to, what I'm up to. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, what we're working on together, which is which is Plat Capital. Um, we did just recently uh, kick that off um, here over the last week and a half, and and we're going to dive into that a little bit with you guys and and just explain it. And then uh, if you're on call in and you want to try to you want to try to call in and ask some questions, feel free to. If not, um, we put out a poll uh, last week and and got quite a few questions back um, from some of the different listeners just asking questions about real estate, crypto, and and uh, different startup questions as well. So we're going to uh, kind of field some of those live here on the call today. So with that, James, hop on, man. How you doing today? Doing awesome, Norm. Uh, excited for today's episode. I'm, I'm pumped for the updates, obviously, and then and some of the q and I think it's going to be cool to kind of start implementing that in. But uh, Still recovering from all the the cookies and dessert from Christmas, so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I get it, man. Me, me as well. I got a my wife uh, this morning woke up and told me that I was going on a diet. So I'm I've been officially <laughs> banned from cookies and stuff like that. Hey, man, you, you got to get those New Year's resolutions in. You know, it's coming up. <laughs> that that's right. Mine just started a couple of days early here. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> so. Uh, gosh, well, uh, good stuff. Let's let's uh, dive into this thing. I'm going to ask you first. Um, you go ahead and just hit us with a little update on the business. How are you doing? Uh, what are you working on? And and how is Iconic Air? Iconic Air is doing great. We are um, honestly just. I was just talking with one of our our folks um, yesterday, and we just this whole basically month of of December, really probably honestly going back to Thanksgiving. I've just kind of been in the trenches building product. Um, you know, as you can imagine, when the holidays roll around, you know, a lot of the business development stuff tends to slow down a little bit uh, just because folks are on vacation, they're out, um, you know, emails take a little bit longer to get back to, meetings get rescheduled until after the new year. Um, it was the same way last year. And, and for us, we always, especially on the, you know, on the technical side, um, we take that as an opportunity to just really go, uh, you know, essentially just as much development as we can in a short, you know, basically a month sprint of work uh, just so we can get new features and things pushed out, any bugs, things like that fixed to get out. Um, that way we kind of hit the ground running in the new year. So we've been, uh, we, we log definitely a lot of hours in December, but it's good because it really positions as well, uh, you know, for coming out of the, the end of the year going into, into the new year. So that's been exciting. It's always fun to, you know, get deep in the trenches and, um, just be working on on building new stuff out. So that's been really good this past month. Um, coming into the new year, uh, you know, we're looking to still bring on, uh, you know, another engineer. Um, so we're still actively uh, working with with folks to get leads and you know fill that role, uh, which will be exciting to to grow our team there. Um, and then the other thing we've really been working on is a pilot program that we're we're kicking off in the new year. So we have some folks, um, you know, that have signed up to do that. Some, some businesses that have signed up, um, to do paid pilots with us. And I think we kick our first one off with one of them 
sometime in mid January. Um, so that'll be exciting. You know, that's folks for the first time really getting into our you know, oil and gas software, um, using it to really extract the value they need to help them with, um, you know, any compliance or collecting of emissions data and then making decisions from it. So that that's really exciting. It's always fun, uh, you know, being an early stage startup and getting new, other users and, and new people onto the platform to just see their feedback, you know, hear it and see how they interact with it. So it's going to be a, a lot of exciting stuff, you know, kicking off that first week of January and really looking forward to it. Good, good. I, I like it. I like it. I think that's a solid little update there. Anything else that you have uh, for us? I don't think so, man. Just, uh, you know, keeping, keeping our heads down and working hard. Uh, you know, I'm excited the year's wrapping up. Uh, you know, we did a lot of good, good things in 2021 that, um, were, were really big and I think really have positioned us well to, uh, you know, hopefully land and expand in some of our customers and just keep growing in, uh, 2022. So it'd be a lot of good stuff. Definitely, uh, some, hopefully some, uh, you know, more spicy, uh, uh, founder updates as we go into the, the next year as we, as we start to, you know, hire more folks and deploy more, uh, aspects of the products and features. So it, it should be exciting. But what, what about you? What, what have you been up to with, uh, the real estate side of things and, and kind of where, where you've been working? Yeah. <clears throat> so I've been, um, we've been super, super busy lately. So I think last time that we had did in a founder update, I said that, um, you know, we were getting ready to break ground on two new properties, uh, that were going to be short-term rentals. So they're, they're golf course properties in, um, in, uh, Mount Airy, North Carolina. We've, we've got, uh, bought this piece of land right across from a golf course, kind of elevated a little bit, has beautiful views of the golf course. And we're building, um, two little cottages on those, uh, on that property, um, to rent out as short-term rentals. So we've got, uh, architect by the name of Marty Needham, who's uh, local to the area, um, doing all the design work for us. And, and he's actually a contractor as well. So he's doing actually, uh, responsible for the build as well, but, um, those broke ground. Uh, so we have foundations in on those, uh, and are working through, um, working through some different things associated with those ran into a, a couple of small problems here, here and there, right out of the gate. Um, the city had told us that, uh, the, uh, sewer line came right up to the property and it, it, uh, it turns out that that wasn't, wasn't entirely true. Um, so we have been working to get an easement put in place with the adjacent property to us that, uh, you know, consumed a lot of time and we were able to get that, get that done. So, um, we start laying sewer line here, uh, in the next, well, tomorrow actually, um, and we'll be off and running on those properties. So uh, that was the first one. The second thing, second big thing that we um, started to really look at was uh, just as a company, we started to go through all the different properties that we own and start looking at uh, what uh, the zoning was on those properties. So, you know, we've I've accumulated properties over time and uh, you know, we, we are trying to, um, get the most out of those properties. Uh, so we started kind of tagging through and just digging into uh, zoning on all those to see what we could do and what we couldn't do um, with those properties. Um, and, and 
the biggest example of that is actually, so on the first episode of this podcast, I talked about uh, this house that I bought for $70,000. And uh, as tenants were moving out, I, you know, did a little bit of rehabbing here and there to up rents and stuff like that. Well, that particular property um, was a duplex. Uh, and as I started digging into the zoning on it, I found out that it um, is actually it's zoned uh, R6 in that particular area. And that's like a medium density uh, zoning. So actually, the, the piece of land has a whole bunch of different uses. Um, probably highest and best is you are actually capable of building a uh, 12 unit apartment building on that lot. So, um, we are starting to work through, uh, exactly what kind of plans we're going to, we're going to take on that and what kind of action we're going to take on it. I actually think what we're going to do, um, is, and, and what we're really are starting to move in the direction on right now, we are the main building. Um, the tenants have, uh, moved out of that as of, uh, the beginning of December and they, so we're going to go in there and just completely remodel the main building um, and then start working with the city to see if we can put a second uh, multifamily building on the back half of that lot. So that's a pretty cool project that we got, uh, got in the mix right now, but um, that kind of, kind of a cool little tip there for people, you know, if you own property and you don't know exactly what that zoning is on that, start digging into it. You could find out that there's a lot more than you, that you can do with, with what you already have, um, than what, uh, than what you think. So that's really been the main thing that we've, we've, uh, had cooking over the past, uh, past month here, uh, since the last up last update and, and then just, you know, constantly trying to upgrade and, and, uh, get better what we, at what we do on the short-term rental side of things. For sure. I love it. I, uh, I was talking with a buddy, uh, who lives in California, uh, last week and, and we were talking about some, some zoning things and, and different permits and things out there. It's definitely, to your point, it's definitely, uh, interesting. And, and when you have a, a property and looking through and seeing what you can do is definitely worth taking the time to, to, to understand. So that's pretty, that's pretty fascinating, exciting that you guys are, have kind of identified that and, and working on some stuff. Yeah, for, for sure. I mean, we are, we definitely, um, continue to, to dive down that path and, uh, and work in that direction. So, I mean, I think that there's going to be some even more good things that we found there. So, so far we found, uh, three properties that had, um, higher density zoning than what we had originally, you know, had originally thought when we went in and, and purchased those, uh, years back. So, you know, it, it's amazing what you can find that you can do with stuff that you already have. hundred percent, a hundred percent. I love that. Um, that's awesome. Any, any other updates on that front, um, with anything real estate or anything like that? No, I think I'm, I think I'm good there. I think that uh, pretty well covers it. Um, so I think the next thing that we want to do is we want to kind of dive into what you and I have been working on together and, and give a little bit of update on that. You want to, take the reins on that, James? Yeah, for sure. For sure. 
Um, so yeah, as, as a lot of you guys know, uh, I think we mentioned it maybe two or three episodes back that, you know, we've been working on, uh, Platt Capital, uh, which is a, you know, a company that, that Norm and I both manage, uh, that's focused on, you know, doing real estate funds and essentially, you know, the, the, the thesis is dem- democratizing real estate investing for all. Right. And so we, as, as we've talked about on previous episodes, we spent a lot of time, um, just trying to explain short-term rentals, real estate in general, uh, and Norm and I, you know, are excited that uh, our investment campaign, our so our first real estate fund uh, for Platt Capital, you know, where anyone in the world um, can can invest, you know, with as little as two hundred fifty dollars. Um, so our first campaign is live on Republic. Um, you know, we'll have the the link in our in our show notes. Um, but you know, we're excited about this. This is this is a big deal, not just from a standpoint of raising capital and being able to deploy it and build a portfolio. Um, you know, but we're both really passionate about giving people the access and ability to even invest in this asset class. I think something that's so important, um, is, and we, we, you know, harp on it all the time on here is diversification across your portfolio. And for a lot of people, uh, they want to get into real estate. They want to be involved in Airbnbs or short-term rentals, you know, but they don't either have the resources from a, a money standpoint. Um, you know, it's it's harder for them to get into, or maybe they don't have the time, right? Maybe they don't have the time to 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 go through the process of purchasing an Airbnb uh, and then also managing it and setting all that up. And that's the beautiful thing is that um, you know Norman and his wife especially have done a great job at setting up processes and systems that allow you know Plat Capital now to effectively and efficiently manage properties, acquire them, get them up to speed, and and get folks renting in there. Uh, and I think it's just awesome. So that's why I'm really excited about launching this campaign is giving, you know, every day, everyone, right. You know, my mom, a friend, a coworker, whoever, the chance to to invest and actually have exposure and, and be able to participate in, in short-term rentals and, and specifically the, you know, asset class of real estate. Yeah, I, lo- I love that, James. And I think to me, that's, that is the biggest thing right there is just having the access to do it, you know, to, to your point. I mean, if you want to get into the short-term rental game, especially the vacation rental game, when it comes to like coastal properties, I mean, you're talking, uh, you know, anywhere from, from 300,000 to, you know, 5 million, um, to even, to even break into that. Uh, and that can be, that can be a difficult thing for people to wrap their heads on and a scary thing for people to wrap their heads around. So, you know, you have to lay out, a lot of capital to be able to break into that market. And then uh, you got to know how to, um, or you got to kind of hope that um, you've got that good market and you can, you can manage it well and and everything works out. Um, And I think that this is just a a great opportunity for people to not have to worry about that huge amount of capital being deployed um, and take a passive, a passive role in it. So, you know, not, you know, we're doing the vetting, we're doing the understanding of what the revenues are, um, and, and all the management associated with it too. So, you know, access to me is probably the biggest thing, um, that I, I love about what we're, what we're going about doing here is, is giving people the chance to do that. Yeah, absolutely. And one thing I'll, um, just dive a little bit in on that to, to go off of what Norm said is for, for folks who are probably sitting there, maybe you're wondering like, you know, well, if I just had more money or time, I could just, you know, go get involved with this, this asset class. 
Um, and, and that's partly true. But the, the interesting thing about what we're doing with Republic, just so everyone kind of knows, is, uh, you know, previously to really invest in startups or even a company or, or even a real estate fund, right? Like, like Norm and I are, are uh, you know, running on Republic's investment campaign website. You had to be an accredited investor, you know, which means that you had to, there's a couple of qualifications for it. I don't remember the specifics, but it's like you have to have a net worth of, of so much, I think it's maybe a million dollars or something like that. Um, or you had to ha- have to have a certain amount of, um, you know, salary, annual salary per year uh, to be qualified as a, an accredited investor. Uh, and before, you know, companies like Republic existed, the only way that anyone could invest in any kind of real estate funds, asset class, just, you know, startups, anything that it, it was some form of a security in a business, right? Something where you're exchanging money for for a, a share or stock or security in a business, you had to be, you know, accredited um, unless it was obviously a publicly traded company. But now Republic has, has turned that narrative um, and, and based off some regulations that have shifted over the years and things, they've created the opportunity so that, uh, you know, someone like Norm and I who, you know, are experienced in real estate and have, um, you know, the knowledge to be able to go and set up a portfolio of, of you know, short-term vacation rentals in North Carolina, we now can use their website to go on and, and create a campaign um, and then allow anyone. So even whether you're accredited or, on, you know, not a, an accredited investor, you can participate in this campaign. So I just want to really draw that kind of, you know, distinction there, because I think even just with talking to some folks um, already about the campaign, um, they weren't even sure if they were like able to or how that worked. Um, and I think it's just such a beautiful thing to be able to tell someone, hey, no, like literally with as little as $250, you can you can be a part of this. Uh, and I love that vision of, of Republic and what they're doing there. And I love that we're building on it and, and building, you know, an investment campaign on there um, that really leverages and takes takes advantage of the network effect of people and and, um, you know, combining small amounts of money to equal a larger sum that can then benefit, you know, everyone involved, um, you know, in, in the investment campaign and the fund. So I know you guys could probably tell we're pumped. We're excited. Um, you know, we're going to have more uh, more updates on it, probably do a, a deeper dive episode here in the next week or two where we really uh, dive in on the mechanics of what we're doing. Um, you know, we'll have uh, hopefully some people who will be calling in and, and asking questions and we'll just really be diving in. Um, but we wanted to give you guys the high level for now, uh, just kind of touch on it and, um, you know, explain some of the, the higher level aspects of it. Norm, is there anything else you wanted to add on any of the investment campaign stuff? Uh, the only other thing that I was going to say is, um, you know, hop on, hop over to Republic, go to that Plat Capital Fund page um, and and actually take a look at the thing, you know, read through it, do your diligence on it. Um, all the information's there. Uh, we've started to get some, uh, you know, investors are already making, are making commitments over there. So we are in, in the reservation phase of this. Uh, so as soon as our, our form C is filed with the SEC, um, then we go, we actually technically go live, but you can go, um, reserve spots and make reservations over on Republic and, and people are hopping in there and doing that. And, and, uh, there's some good questions that are being asked. Some pretty inquisitive questions have been, uh, hitting the page. So there's lots of good reading material over there, um, for you guys to go check out if you, if you so choose, but I, I would just say, you know, if you're interested in it, hop on over there and, and, uh, do your diligence, um, with it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, as he said, there's a ton of 
resources there, uh, you know, just to explain what it is, what we're doing. And, um, you know, as you, if you take a look and you have questions, you know, drop them in on the discussion and, uh, you know, Norm and I will, uh, are always more than happy to answer there. And, and, uh, we just love the, the concept of creating a community around this. That's really what this is. Um, you know, it's people investing, people who want to obviously diversify their portfolio and grow, but it's really a community of people who have bought into the vision and concept of a real estate fund, you know, focused in North Carolina. Uh, it's been really cool, Norm, I think, to see some of the comments where, you know, people will say, hey, I've, I've been to been to Oak Island, you know, for years or, or been to Holden Beach or those types of things and, and how they just love it and are, and are bought into to that. So we're excited. Um, and as, as Norm said, you know, go go check out the, the website and we'll have that um, in the show notes as well. Um, awesome. So I think the next thing we're going to cover is just kind of some general Q&A, as Norm said. Uh, we put out just a poll to uh, to some of our networks, to Facebook, uh, you know, different social platforms, and uh, got some different questions in for each category that we talk about. Uh, so we're going to do two questions on each category. So we'll have um, questions, you know, for two questions for real estate, two questions for crypto, and two questions for startups. So I'm going to kick us off, Norm, with two questions from startups. Um, and then we can kind of bounce back and forth and then, uh, we'll move on to real estate from there. Um, some of them, maybe we already covered, we'll probably reference that episode. We'll still, you know, cover the, the inner workings of, uh, of the questions. But, uh, the first one we have here, Norm is, is it still worth writing a business plan for, and this is for the startups category. I'm going to just fire off and answer, um, you know, my, my answer right away. And then I'll toss it over to Norm, but I, we, I think it was maybe the how to get your first investor check episode. We did dive real deep in on this. Um, so I strongly encourage if you guys want more info uh, on this to go check that episode out. But my gut reaction answer to that is just no. Um, I, you know, all the time when we've been pitching investors or working with folks, writing a business plan is very lengthy. Uh, it can really just be a time suck. You know, in a way it can be like doing a research paper in college. Uh, it, a lot of times put into it and no one ends up really caring about it, uh, is usually how it goes, but I, I won't deter people from, you know, doing diligence on starting a business. I think a lot of folks, uh, when they think of a business plan, they're like, okay, I'm going to write this business plan because I want to have the path to like how my business will work and how it will function. And I don't want to deter people from that. I think that's a great idea. Um, you know, I just don't think it has to be in a super long drawn out. 20, 30, 40 page business plan. I would encourage folks to just maybe make, keep it simpler, maybe make a deck, um, just keep it simpler so that you can still do your diligence, still think through like, you know, how am I going to market the product I have? Or, you know, who's my initial target customer? Who are some of my competitors? Still think through all those aspects of what are traditionally in a business plan, but just don't get caught up in the, you know, small details of the fine writing and the paragraphs and all that. Just throw your ideas on a, on a deck and, and go from there. That's, that's kind of my gut reaction, Norm. What do you think? Yeah. I, so I agree with what you're saying. Um, it, to me, if you want to, if you want to use a business plan as kind of the outline for doing your research on the business and doing your diligence on the business, I think that's fine. But if you think that, you know, you're putting together a business plan and it's going to necessarily mean anything to anybody, um, I think you're probably, you're probably fooling yourself a little bit. Uh, and it, in that episode, um, you know, we give you the rundown on why, why we think that, uh, so to me, it, it's not, 
it's worth your time from just the the diligence standpoint, um, but not worth your time if you think you're going to use that as your kind of main main pitch deck. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I completely agree. Uh, just kind of rapid firing them off here. The next question we have is how long should you bootstrap versus taking money from investors when starting your business? Uh, I'll kick this one off again, but that's a great question. Uh, You know, I think really it, it, it it is situational based. Um, But just for, you know, reference and example uh, you know, when, when we started iconic air, we were still in college. Uh, so it was a lot easier for us to, in a way to bootstrap, right. And we bootstrapped for, uh, honestly, about the first year, uh, maybe even closer to a year and a half. We just bootstrapped. We lived off of getting any grants we could get, uh, doing any business competitions we could do to try to win cash. Um, you know, trying to get all the basically low hanging fruit we could that existed, um, just because we were still so early and still trying to figure out exactly what we were building and who we were building it for. Um, and when you're doing that, it's not wrong to take money from an investor when you're doing that, obviously. Um, but the downside to taking money from an investor that early is that just because you're not as far along in the business building process, you maybe don't have customers or revenue yet, or even a product. Um, you know, when you take investor money that early, it's typically going to be at, at, you know, a steeper cost, right? So they're going to, they're going to want more percentage of your company or they're going to want, um, you know, a lower valuation on your company so that they can, you know, get more uh, equity or, or shares in the future when their, you know, investment converts. Um, or if it's a straight equity deal, you know, maybe they want 50% of the company up front for 50 grand or something like that. Um, so my, my thought and experience on that has been, you know, boost your, if, if you're really, especially if you're a first time founder, you're just you're figuring it out. You're trying to build a business and a product and just learn everything all at the same time. Try to bootstrap while you can um, to really just set yourself up to have good metrics or at least some revenue and, and a, a decent version of your product um, built so that you can go to investors um, and, and you know have something to show them so that you don't have to give up as much as your company. I do think, you know, to end on it, I do think that that shifts as your business grows. I think that every entrepreneur in their journey um, you know, even if you're, even if you're doing real estate or any form of a, a business or company, you kind of get to a point where you've finally figured out kind of how the system works. And then you have to decide, okay, am I going to just kind of keep bootstrapping and just kind of maintain the existing, you know, products or infrastructure or properties that we have, um, you know, regardless of what business it is, or are we going to take on more capital and from investors and try to try to really expand this thing out and give it some rocket fuel and give it the breath that it might have to, to kind of grow and really scale out. Um, and when you do that, you know, obviously that's a, a lot more responsibility and there's different expectations and problem sets that come with that. Um, but it, it is something to be, you know, aware of. So I think it just depends on how early you are. Um, you know, especially if you're in college, uh, or if you're a first time founder or second time founder, you know, there's a whole di- bunch of different things that, that kind of come in there, but definitely try to bootstrap where you can early and then uh, if you are going to take money from investors, try to just have the best metrics you can or the best uh, you know, revenue number or best version of your product so that you can try to you know, mitigate or reduce the amount of equity you, you have to give up there. And honestly, that's such a great question. Uh, maybe we'll circle back on that concept a little bit more in, uh, in a future startup episode. But Norm, I'll throw it over to you to, 
to add in and uh, give your. Yeah, I agree, James. I think we could actually do a full episode on that one question right there. That's that's just a, a really good question. Um, and my view on it, uh, and let me caveat this by saying I don't know that this is necessarily the right view. It's just my view on it. Um, I, I love bootstrapping. Like, you know, every business that I've ever started was a bootstrapped business. And the reason I love bootstrapping is because um, – you, to me, I think that there's a lot of problems that can be solved with larger amounts of cash. And because of that, uh, when those larger amounts of cash are there, you don't run into those problems until it's, it's like, until it's major. Um, so I like going into a position where you have to go through a lot of trial and tribulation. You have to rely on your own capital and your own grit to get you through those situations because I think it takes you out the other side and makes you a stronger investor on the backside of things, you know, and it's, it's, um, it can be a lot more painful. Uh, but when you're learning and when you're in a position where you're trying to become proficient at something, pain is good. I mean, pain's not a bad thing. Like when you run into tough situations and you have to overcome those situations, then on the backside, you're a much better investor and you, in turn, become much better at uh, being able to handle investor money in the future. You know, so um, when you go to take the step, kind of my my threshold a lot of times, or the way that I like to think about it is like, I I want to go seek out investor money when I am in a position where I want to rapidly expand the business. I want to take the business to a little bit different level. Um, but also where even if I didn't get any investor money, I'd still be fine. You know, I don't necessarily need the investor money. The investor money is something that's going to help me to grow that business and expand it. And I'm competent enough to be very good with that investor money once that investor money starts rolling in. That's my opinion on it. I love it. I love it. Um, I I mean, that's all really, really great advice. Um, and I think that, you know, the, there is beauty in the struggle, right? You know, the saying, uh, and it's true. I can even think back to, uh, you know, times early on in Iconic where, you know, we, we didn't have, uh, you know, as much money or we were really, really needed that, you know, grant application to go through, or we really needed to hustle and win that business competition or, or get that, you know, pilot early on for, for, you know, early revenue. Um, and I just think that it's, it, there is beauty in the struggle. So love that. And, uh, you know, growing and, and evolving as an entrepreneur from, from that pain is definitely a part of the journey. Uh, and it ends up being, you know, at, at first it's kind of a, a, a punch in the face. Uh, but I feel like at least for me, as I've gone, gone on in the journey, I, uh, have started to like that and, 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 and you know, look at that as, as a good challenge and, and something to overcome. So great, great answer, Norm. Love that. Um, we're going to switch over to two questions for real estate now. Uh, Norm, I'm going to throw them. I'll still chime in. But I'm going to throw them, read them off, then I'll throw them over to you. Um, the first question is, what was the hardest thing about running slash managing your first Airbnb? Oh, boy. That's a good, um, that's a good question. The f- the, read, that, read that for me one more time, James. The first 
the most difficult thing? Yeah, just the hardest thing. Like when you first started your your first Airbnb, so that like running it slash managing it, uh, what was the hardest thing in that process? Okay, okay, I got you. Um, so I guess first off, the hardest thing was taking the first step to even do it, you know, to even dive into it. Like we did so much diligence and so much work and tried to check so many boxes um, before we launched our first one uh, that, um, you know, we, we probably didn't, uh, we probably didn't go to market with our very first one until, you know, six, seven months after the idea popped into our, into the, into our head. So uh, frankly, (laughs) just taking the first step was the most difficult part because of what we did, what the way that we approached it. Um, now I will say that once we started it, and once we started to manage it, um, the most difficult thing on that first one was starting to really understand what it takes to do it and what customer service actually means to people. Um, I think you would be amazed at uh, what people um, expect when they come to stay at your place. So the the uh, the style of accommodation or the amount of accommodation or, or, um, the need to have things taken care of immediately, um, it is very, very real when you get into, uh, the hotel business and the, the Airbnb game, like it's, it's a, it's a very real thing. And, um, you gotta, you gotta adjust to that. You know, uh, I've said this before, you know, in, in long-term rentals, you know, you have, you have something happen, you have, uh, you have a maintenance issue that you need to take care of um, getting it, getting it scheduled and getting it done and getting it taken care of um, doesn't have to be a, within a, within the next five minutes thing. When it's a short-term rental, when people are on vacation, like it has to happen now and you have to move and drop whatever you're doing and you got to go make that happen. Um, so, you know, that's just something to, to take note of and to be aware of, I guess. Yeah, I, I, I mean, that's all great, great information and just, um, you know, advice. I think that um, for me, you know, I kind of had a, a easy path in a way on, on, on the first uh, Airbnb that I did. Uh, so I actually went in with Norm uh, and a few, a few other folks uh, on an Airbnb in um, North Carolina. And uh, luckily, you know, Norm had already kind of been through the, the process and had already set up some, some short-term vacation rentals. So we obviously, uh, you know, relied a lot on him, um, and, and have had just, you know, been a sponge to, to the knowledge and things that, that he shared. So I do think that's important though. I think, uh, you know, if you're trying to get into the game for the first time, uh, it's great. And to do what, what, what I did, right. Uh, you know, which was maybe, maybe d- don't do it alone or, you know, you could do it alone, but at least find someone, in your network or, or work with someone who as a, you know, in a way that as a mentor, you can really, you know, show you the ropes and uh, help you do the things that, you know, you can avoid that uh, maybe they didn't when they set their first one up um, and you can kind of learn in that process. So I, I think that's valuable to, to have those folks and, and do those things. For sure. Yeah. I mean, you would be amazed at how much stuff you, when you first put one out there, how much stuff you, um, you know, how, how, how much you think you got it right. And then how much you find out <laughs> through, 
you know, through reviews and through uh, just conversations with people who are staying um, through conversations with guests, uh, you know, how much you need to improve. And, and we're constantly improving. I mean, we're, we're very proficient at it now and have um, systems in place to take care of things. And, and uh, we always make sure that we're holding our, our uh, clientele, our, our guests um, at a very high standard, uh, you know, so when they need things, we move and we make it happen for them. Um, and that's become actually a, a pretty uh, key part of our business model today. Uh, but when we first launched, you know, it was kind of a, it was kind of a surprise. It was a struggle at first. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so moving on to our next question for our last question for real estate section, what's better to invest for real estate, something cheap that needs work or something that doesn't need work? <laughs> the age old question, <laughs> buy, buy something cheap and, and work on it or buy something, uh, buy something new that's expensive and, and just rent it. Um, so this is a, I'm going to answer this question in a couple of different ways here that the first thing to note, um, though, or at least the way that I look at this, this is if you want to make money quicker, a lot of times, um, buying something cheap, doing a full rehab, and then bringing it to market is the way to uh, compound capital a little bit more quickly. That being said, um, if you want something that is low maintenance that you can rent and you can get years out of uh, without a major maintenance drag, uh, buying something new is just absolutely the way to go. Uh, and, you know, when you're buying something that's cheap, um, if your intent is not to go in there and completely fix it up and bring it back to a like new condition, then just, you know, be forewarned, you're going to have problems. I mean, um, every time I've, that I've done that, uh, where I didn't go in and bring it up to standard uh, or bring it up to, you know, my, my standard, bring it up to like new condition, um, usually, you know, uh, usually we don't make any money. Frankly, we don't make any cash flow because the maintenance drag on it is so substantial. Uh, so that, that's my opinion on it. When I, if I'm not going to put in the work, like if I'm going to going to just buy something, uh, for purely for cash flow from, for a cash flow standpoint, like a lot of times I'll literally go find somebody who is doing a flip or somebody who's doing new construction and I'll buy it off of them. I'll let them, I'll allow them to do the work. I'll allow them to bring everything up to where it needs to be. And then I'll purchase it, you know, and then I'll get, I'll have longevity in um, my rentals, AKA not a huge maintenance drag. So that's my opinion on it. I think that's, I think that's great stuff. Uh, the only thing that I would add um, you know, on that note, I think, uh, you know, I've never been a part of a full kind of rehab um, or really like diving deep on getting something that's, you know, maybe really beat up that needs a lot of cosmetic work or, um, you know, renovations. So I can't wait too much in on it, but from the experience of just owning, um, you know, like we, we targeted a newer, I think it was built in like 2014, townhouse in Morgantown, um, you know, as a, as a 
long-term rental there for just college students or different folks. Um, the main thing for us and why we went that path, because we did have the opportunity to buy, you know, a you know, hundred, $110,000 house and then, you know, put 20, 30, 40 grand into it or go buy the, you know, $161,000 newer house. Um, for us, it just came down to, we really didn't have the time or resources that we felt like we needed to, to commit to doing that process of, um, you know, of really going in and, and, and revamping a property. So I think it depends on my, my thoughts on it would just be, it just kind of just depends on your situation in some way of, you know, um, and, and Norm kind of hinted at this, but, you know, are you kind of looking for something quick where, um, you know, maybe you can just have it up and running and get, get money on it? Um, you know, or are you kind of looking for that flip or kind of what your thesis is on a property? So definitely situational based and, and smart to think about what you are looking for out of it and, and how long you plan on holding it and, and all those types of things. Um, and when you're kind of just trying to think through that process. Yeah. And, and just, just because it's cheap doesn't mean it's a good, it's a good deal. Absolutely. Um, just cause it's cheap doesn't, doesn't mean that it's not a good deal too. <laughs> like there's a lot that goes into that, uh, that methodology and trying to, um, trying to determine what the thing is actually, you know, technically worth or what needs to go into it. So you got to do your diligence when you, um, are looking at those types of properties. Hundred percent, hundred percent. Awesome. So we'll transition to our last um, category now, which is just uh, we had some some questions on crypto. Uh, so we had two questions on crypto. The first question is: Did we miss the boat of opportunity on Ethereum and Bitcoin? And if so, what are some other good cryptos to look at over the next decade? Um, I'll kind of chime in on this right off the bat. So. As just as a quick disclaimer, as everyone always knows, you know, these are just our opinions that we're talking about on here. Um, this is by no means, you know, official investment advice. So make sure to seek out, um, you know, professional, um, you know, portfolio managers and investment professionals to discuss these strategies. These are just opinions and things that Norm and I have implemented and thought through in our life, uh, in our in our own portfolios. But to answer that question, uh, I do think that when you just look at the market cap of Ethereum or Bitcoin, I think it's pretty clear that the multiples maybe aren't there as much as some of the other opportunities in the crypto space. Um, and so by that, I just mean, you know, when you go from having, uh, you know, a, a coin in, in Bitcoin, right. That at one point was a couple hundred bucks, um, you know, a, a coin now to the point where it's peaked and hit uh, up near, near, you know, 60 K plus, um, obviously that's a huge movement and it took years for that to happen. So I don't know if the, if the multiples are going to be there, uh, from a, you know, kind of 10 X, 20 X, 30 X multiple. I think over time, maybe they will be, I, I, I my opinion on is Bitcoin is, is just going to continue to year over year. Um, you know, it's going to always continue to kind of grow and expand. I think it's going to have its down years and it's really great years, but I think overall the thesis for me is that over the next 10, 20, 30 years, just going to continue to rise in value. Uh, that's open for debate if anyone if anyone wants to talk about that. Um, but I do think that in terms of other good cryptos to look at, uh, you know, in addition to maybe some Ethereum or Bitcoin you're buying, I do think that those are still great things to hold. But if you're trying to diversify your crypto portfolio and look at some other things, I'm not going to recommend any specific uh, uh, cryptos. I do hold quite a, a few different coins. Uh, but what I will say is that my thesis has been two things. The first thing is to look at 
the developer community of a coin. So, you know, by that, I mean, if you go online and look at their website, see how many people, um, you know, are actually involved in the project. Who are these people? What do they do? Are they very committed? Was it a research thesis? Like, how did it actually get created? Um, and oftentimes you can really quickly see, okay, this is a really, you know, experienced professional team. They're bought into this. You can, if you really want to get in the weeds, you can go on their GitHub, look at the code commits. You want to see that they're actively pushing code, which means that they're constantly working and building on the project. Uh, that's something that I've looked at to see, you know, how active or how much support is, is there for crypto from the developer community, which is super important for this, uh, because the developer community for a crypto is really what's going to be what builds the early applications or early concepts of that coin. And then the other thing I look at is where are venture capitalists putting their money? So where are these big VC firms, right? These top tier firms, um, not only in America, but internationally, where are they putting their money? And oftentimes you can literally just go on their website or go on different websites and see the coins that folks are investing in. And, uh, and it's obviously not a sure bet, right? When you do that, that that coin's going to blow up. But that does reduce some risk in terms of, you know, a venture capitalist and a firm, uh, VC firm's not just going to stash a couple million or $200 million somewhere that they don't think, you know, has a chance of at least growing or coming to some form of fruition. Um, that they obviously won't always. Um, but it's just, I think it's another thing you can use to kind of have a reality check and make sure that the coins that you're looking at potentially investing in are, are legitimate and have true future utility and value and aren't just kind of these pump and dump or uh, meme coins that exist. Norm, what are your thoughts? Um, so I'm going to take a, I'll take it like a kind of a macro view on this thing um, more so than, than diving into actual crypto itself. Um, so here's what I'll say about it. You know, did, did you miss the boat on, um, did you miss the boat on Ethereum and Bitcoin? My opinion is no. Uh, will you get to James's point? Will you get these just huge, gigantic multiples that everybody's looking to, you know, buy, buy uh, some sort of crypto and get rich off of? Eh, probably not. But is there an investment thesis there? I think that there is. And I think that that thesis is built around kind of a more broad macroeconomic outlook, which is, you know, Will central banks continue to print money and keep interest rates low? Uh, to me, the answer to that question is yes. Um, will federal governments continue to um, borrow and spend? Uh, to me, that answer is yes. Uh, and as those things happen, you know, currency continues to be uh, decayed away. Um, you continue to lose purchasing power. And when, as you're losing purchasing power, you know, the best way to maintain purchasing power is through uh, different different hard assets. And, and, you know, I think that, uh, I think that Ethereum, I think that Bitcoin has made their, um, point that they fall into that category and that they, uh, work as, as, uh, you know, essentially a, a inflation hedge against, uh, devaluing currencies. Now to caveat that a little bit, like there are some deflationary, uh, things happening out there, like the the euro dollar curve uh, inverted, and that you know can can kind of um, or can potentially signal some some global uh, slowdown and potential global uh, depressions on the horizon. 
Um, so I think that those things are, are things to keep your eyes out for. And, and I'm not going to dive deep into those. If you want to understand that, go listen to uh, Eurodollar University with Jeff Snyder. Um, he's probably the best that's out there to explain that if you can understand what he's saying. Uh, but, um, you know, so there are some things that are out there that make me say, okay, well, maybe the the future isn't quite as rosy as what uh, we think. But at the same time, then again, if you go back to, you know, our central banks printing and our central banks keeping money at zero or keeping interest rates at zero, and then it's the federal government just all of a sudden going to turn around and, and start paying their debts. Um, I think those answers are, are uh, yes, central banks will do that and no federal governments won't. So um, that makes a pretty strong case uh, for the future of, of really most cryptos. That's a really great perspective. Um, and I really, I appreciated hearing that from the macro standpoint of, you know, really, like you said, connecting it to uh, what's kind of the overall thesis that's there. So definitely uh, that's something I've, as a quick side note, that's something I've been really diving into and just trying to research and better understand is a lot of these aspects of, um, you know, the, the deeper inner workings of the federal banks and some of these things. Um, so if you, if you guys are also interested in hearing some of that, we did do a really good uh, episode on inflation. I think that was last, our last episode, episode seven. Um, that was really good. So definitely check that one out. Um, so we got our last question for the show. So is crypto really a good investment for someone who is 60 plus? Uh, if so, what would be a good first amount to invest? Um, my, my first reaction on, on that is, uh, it, it's, it's so tough. Sometimes these things are very situational based, but the macro level on it for me would be, um, you have to really think through like what your risk strategy is. And I think that it's safe to say that, uh, you know, traditionally, you know, right now, uh, you know, I'm in my 20s. Um, and so I'm much more open to high risk things that maybe will pay off, maybe won't pay off, you know, 10, 20, 30 years from now, um, while also, you know, consistently contributing to uh, a retirement account each month. But because I have that window of time left, um, you know, it's almost easier in a way for, for me to put money in there or, or purchase crypto and hold um, and not be as you know worried or concerned about its performance year over year, uh, but rather be more focused on the overall macro trend of the next you know two to three decades. Um, and so I think that's a little trickier when you're kind of past that age of 60, you really have to begin to understand your risk profile. And uh, you know, if you're kind of is it something that, you know, maybe you would hold and, and pass on to, uh, you know, your kids or, or the next generation? Um, and you kind of really just want to get involved in that asset class. Um, just a lot of those things. I would, I would really recommend talking with a financial advisor and someone who, who is uh, a professional on kind of retirement strategies and those different things and how, you know, Bitcoin or, or crypto may potentially fit into your retirement portfolio. Uh, in terms of the second part of that question on how much is a good investment, um, I just think it's whatever makes sense for you. And by that, I mean, you know, something that is not such a large amount that, uh, you know, if, if it went to zero or didn't go exactly the way you planned, that it wouldn't affect you that much. I do think it's, it's interesting uh, in a concept that's good to hold crypto. 
I don't think or agree with people who are like, you know, hey, you should have all crypto or, or like a lot of your portfolio should be crypto. I think that especially when you're past that age of 60 and you're thinking about things like retirement strategies, all those concepts, uh, it's really important to be aware of your risk profile and the kind of percentages that you're allocating to each category. Um, and if one of those happens to be crypto, um, you know, I would definitely kind of be on the much more conservative side and maybe just uh, put a very small amount in. Uh, Norm, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, I, I think you summed that up pretty well, James. I mean, my, my thought is, um, you know, it's very, very common for cryptocurrencies to move 20, 40 percent, right? That's in an upward direction and a downward direction. So if you think that you're just going to go dump all your money in crypto and and that's a good retirement plan, I would say that you're wrong. Um, that's my opinion. And but you do. Is there a place for it? Sure. I mean, sure there is. Right. You know, we, we continuously are talking about asset class diversification and then strategy class strategy class diversification within that asset class diversification right so is there a place for it absolutely there's a place for it um but you have to understand what that is what your risk profiles are how you want to uh to kind of handle and manage that money in the future um i i think that it's probably a smaller percentage when you uh are are over your 60s um but it doesn't mean that there's not a place for it for you uh, you just have to understand your own risk profile you got to look at how much capital you actually have how you want to deploy that and where you want to deploy it to um if you're looking for a low volatility asset that pays you cash flow uh crypto's not it right so um you know i mean and I guess some people could argue that uh, some of the uh, some of the um, stable coins are some of the different things that you can do with uh, crypto to earn interest. So, you know, maybe there's something there from that standpoint, but um, I, I would do your diligence and and just recognize that uh, crypto is a very volatile asset, um, which makes it it's uh, kind of difficult to rely on on a short-term basis and unless you've got a very potent trading strategy that you're you're utilizing with it very good uh very good wrap up and kind of final answer to um you know to our question section i had a blast doing that i think that was great um you know norm and i uh are are planning on kind of having these uh moving forward uh as we kind of have some founder updates and stuff so as you guys are listening, if you have more questions or have questions in general, um, you know, you can drop them, uh, drop them to us. If you have our, our, our numbers or our emails, shoot them to us. Uh, if you have us on social, shoot them to us, or you can drop a, a question on the Platt Capital uh, website at platcapital.co. Um, as always, guys, we appreciate you you tuning in and listening. Hopefully, um, you know, you, you got some some advice or some some good knowledge from the questions and things we talked about today. Uh, you know, we'll have more updates, much more in-depth updates around Plat Capital uh, and the fund that we've, we've launched there on Republic's website, uh, you know, in the next week or two. So keep an eye out for that and uh, hope everyone's having you know a good holiday season and, and kind of enjoys through the new year and kicks off a great uh, 2022. So as always, guys, thanks for tuning in and have a great week.